0: We have a system here in Ireland called Direct Provision that keeps asylum seekers who've come here to seek refuge from violence and the threat of being killed in their home countries in institutions with very poor living conditions. The Direct Provision system forces people into a limbo for really long periods of time where they can't work, build a meaningful life for themselves in this country and have little to no control over the food that they eat and their overall day to day lives. It's a really inhumane system that needs to be ended as soon as possible. And in this episode of the Rebel Matters podcast, I sat down with Ellie Kishombe, who's been living in direct provision since 2010. Ellie came to Ireland after losing several members of her family due to political unrest in her home country of Malawi. She's also the founder of a really great organisation called Our Table, which works to bring people together, create employment opportunities, teach people new skills and also highlight the issues around the direct provision system. I recorded this episode up in the Irish Refugee Council in Dublin, and it's very important for everyone who's listening to this to hear what Ellie is saying, to stand up to help dismantle the direct provision system in Ireland and become more aware of how the Irish government are treating people who are coming here to seek asylum. We've got quite a few cool events coming up at Ackley in the coming weeks that I want to share with you before we get stuck into the podcast. An event that we're going to be holding in Ackley very soon that relates well to this episode is the Lone Moor Long Table Lunch, which is on Saturday the 17th of November, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. This event is free and it's a semi-regular event that we've been holding over the last number of years where we set up a long table in the gym and everyone brings along some food and whatever we have there we just share it we have got some good tunes going on in the background good chats we normally put the barbecue on as well if we need to warm something up or cook a bit of meat and it's totally free so if you want to get involved go on to facebook and find the facebook event which is the lone Moor long table lunch let us know that you're coming through that or just drop an email to info at ackley.ie to let us know If you're coming and if you're bringing someone along with you so we'll have a bit of an idea of numbers there. A couple of weeks ago I went up to Belfast for a week and recorded some cracker podcasts with people who I've been really interested to talk to for quite some time. So it was brilliant to get the opportunity to take the time off from Ackley and go up there and make those recordings. So I'm going to be releasing those Belfast recordings bit by bit over the next couple of months so I'm really looking forward to sharing those with you. Another event that I want to share with you right now is the Palestinian pop-up shop that we're going to hold in the gym on the 16th of December. As some of you know, I was in Palestine twice this year, March and in August, and to say that the Palestinians in the West Bank are living under extreme conditions is an absolute understatement. They're being persecuted from left, right and centre by the Israeli government and the Israeli army. The refugee camp that I spent the most time in in the West Bank was the Camp, and it's known as the most tear-gassed place in the whole wide world because the Israeli army spends so much time training their new recruits to go in there, shoot tear gas at people. They've got these launchers, I think they can shoot something like 50 tear gas canisters into that place in one go. And there's videos on YouTube, if you want to go and see it, of the Israeli army attacking a playground and a -a five-a-side court with... Um, tear gas and the kids have to run away there's a community centre called the Lazi Centre which ran a summer camp which which I was a part of this year that was attacked by tear gas and the people were actually stuck in there and couldn't get out because of the volume of tear gas that the Israeli army fired in there the Israeli army also fired a tear gas canister in the window of a woman's house and she ended up suffocating and dying from that tear gas and they also a sniper shot a young boy who was standing outside his primary school from far away doing nothing and kill them. So that's the kind of stuff that's going on over there in the West Bank and we want to do something to stand up against it and show our solidarity with the people of Palestine. As I was saying, I was over there twice this year, March and also in August. In August, I made some really good contacts over there and I've got a massive project that I hopefully will be able to share the details with you about that in the next couple of weeks. But this is the first part of it. We're going to hold this pop-up shop one day only. We're bringing over loads of Palestinian goods over to Cork and we're going to sell them to the people of Cork for... As Christmas presents. We're going to have cafes, the traditional Palestinian scarves, handmade soaps, crafts, um, ceramics, t shirts, olive oil, and things made from olive wood. So come down and support this project because it's really essential for me that we do something to stand up and that people know that we're not like allowing this to happen to the Palestinian people and that we show a bit of solidarity. So that's going to be happening on the 16th of December, 11 o'clock to 6 o'clock, once-off event, and we're going to have a lot of class stuff there. So come and support that in the gym on uh, Crawford Business Park on in Bishop Street in Cork City Centre. So I want to get stuck into this episode about direct provision and I want to give you a little bit of background information about the direct provision system here in Ireland. It started in the year 2000 as a a way to process asylum seekers as they were coming here from different countries all over the world. The numbers fluctuate but in Ireland there's space for about 5,500 people in the direct provision system. Now, you would think that the direct provision system would be something that would be very short term and that we would be able to treat people with a a measure of human dignity and give them their basic human rights while they were waiting in that system. But the opposite is true. As my guest on the podcast, you'll hear from her. She's been in direct provision since 2010, has got two children who've been practically raised in the direct provision system. The direct provision uh, centres are run by private profit making companies, which means they are have a built in incentive to keep the cost of running these centres down so they make more profit. And the people who suffer the most because of this profit making system are the people who are living in direct provision right now and have been doing so for a very uh, long number of years. The living conditions are absolutely shit in some of the direct provision systems, and it leaves people living in a limbo where they have hardly any control over their day to day lives. Can't get work, and can't go on to get a third level education the same as any other people who are kind of raised in Ireland. It's a violation of human rights that's going to be compared with the other human rights disasters that we've had in this country, such as the things that we're after seeing coming out of the Magdalene laundries, the absolute scandals coming out of the Catholic Church, and the way that we people treat the way that we treat the people with. With disabilities or illnesses that were just locked up in mental asylums, just to to, to waste away for the rest of their lives. All those things are after coming out now, and I guarantee the same thing is going to come out about the direct provision system in the years to come. Which is why I wanted to go and speak to Ellie and give give you guys an insight about and get an insight myself about what's going on in these places and just start the conversation about how we can t- tear this stupid system down and start treating people like human beings. So. Listen to what Ellie has got to say and let me know what you think. Give some feedback about the podcast. This episode in itself, by the time I'm traveling up to Dublin, meeting Ellie, recording a podcast, coming back down again, doing all the edits and recording these intros, like it took a long time to make it. So I really appreciate the feedback. But this is such an important topic of conversation and something that needs to be sort of that we need to shed light on. So I'm absolutely Delighted that I was able to do this and use the Rebel Matters podcast as a bit of a platform to shed light on this absolute disaster that's going on in Ireland and right today. It sounds like something from 70 years ago, but this is going on every single day. And we need to, we need to tear it down. So here we go. Eli Kishombe on direct provision.
1: My name is Eli Kishombe. So I came from Malawi, moved over here almost a decade ago ago to uh, seek asylum. So um, um, uh, I'm coming from a very strong political background and I myself, I started getting involved into politics and being an activist. And uh, in um, uh, the, the time that I was coming here, things really turned bad that, you know, life could have lost, I could lose my life. I've already lost uh some of family members like my uncle who was a vice president for the opposition party died and we know that he died through that my father too so you know uh at that time i knew that i was becoming kind of like a threat you know that people could see some elements of part of my family's in me so it started becoming tough and um also, at that time, we were going through a bad governance in Malawi, and young activists we we rebelled and we started forming up like uh, small positions, parties, and movements. We started, I should say, like not small, but we started movement. So. So at that time, we were organizing protests and things like that. And some of us, some of other people that now we don't have them, some died, some ended up in prison and, you know, and we would have lost many lives. So that's when I decided to get back uh, to Ireland. At that time, uh I was so much like anger because like angry, like really angry because I've been through a lot of stuff in my family. Like I've seen some of my family members dying and, you know, like you see the truth is here, but the story is telling a different story. Like we've all seen this in the world. And even of recently you've just seen something that happened in the Middle East that the story is here, but people like in politics, people kind of like run away from the real story. So, you know, this exactly that happens also in my country. So um I was really angry because I knew that, de- I mean, I knew that definitely this is how, my parents died, and this is how people that were close to me, I mean, died. So I became enraged, enraged that I was involved in the movement. So through that, I could lose my life. It's when I just decided to leave, to say, you know, I should live. Maybe my 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 parents didn't survive, like people who were close to my family didn't survive, but I have to survive, you know, for the brighter future. So that's how I found myself here in Ireland. So I moved over here and I lived in Ireland and I seek asylum. So when I seek asylum, then I also found myself, I was accepted asylum, which now I have to start processed, but then I found myself in a system um, called direct provision. So direct provision is a system that takes care of asylum seeker while the process of asylum of you to to be accepted as an asylum seeker as a refugee you you're being processed so you're you're being um provided uh, you being provided uh, a space where to live and uh, an accommodation and you you stay there basically from the day you arrive to almost 10 years later, like the way I am. So, you live in camps. Many people live in outside cities. Like here in Ireland, we have many camps, about 35 camps, that are in every district of, of, of Ireland. But many of them, even citizens, don't know about it because they're outside the, the cities. So, these are like old hotels or like uh, old convents like uh the, the army centers. That's where they press them. So, <laughs> People live there from first day to wherever they live, and you get a 19... nine nine. You you we used to, like we used to get nineteen ten euro a week, which it has just been increased to twenty one euros a week, and kids used to get nine sixty and now they get fifteen sixty a week, and uh, you you basically that's why it's called direct provision because you're provided everything so you're given provision so you're given a one tablet of soap in a week and a toilet tissue and a and a and a toothpaste and a toothbrush and that's life basically you're not allowed to access third level education as you're an asylum seeker you're not even supported in in, for your for your third level education kids can access can access Primary school can access secondary school, but they can't access college and they can't access university, right? And also, uh, you know, you're not allowed to cook. So you're living in a space, really, in a hotel space that is not a communal. You don't even have a family life and you don't even have a space to make your food. So many kids that are born in direct provision, they haven't seen like uh, about... 10 20% of the kids 20 not 20 but maybe 50 or 60 percent of the kids born in direct provision they've not even seen their mother making like making a meal for them and even just to to pass the culinary skill or to teach them kids your your casual food they haven't even done so so exactly that's that's what happens in direct provision and uh you you, you're living in a in a situation where you're controlled Basically, you're controlled. Your mind, your health, you know, your life. It's being controlled by somebody. You live you lived in a in a prison that's it's different from the actual prison, but actually this is an open prison that you can actually go out and come back. That's the only difference. But you live under camera, you live under I mean you live always told what to do and what you shouldn't do. You lived even some hostels, you have some hostels that they don't even let people come like, you know, like twelve Midnight or 10 midnight, like even where I'm living now, the center I'm living now, anyway, they will tell you it's a security issue, but it's a space whereby you cannot have visitors after 10.30, you know, that type of stuff. And you can even not even let visitors to where you're you're, you're living. So, you know, what type of life is that? So Who runs the direct provision centers? So direct provision centers are being run by a uh, uh, few people. And they're privatized and it's a mad million business yeah
0: because they're private does that mean they're trying to keep the cost of running the, the centers down
1: all the time not they are making money
0: they're making money yeah that's what I mean yeah, yeah. So they try and keep yeah. the cost of running yeah the exactly
1: down? so they can keep the money so there are a few people that runs the, the the centers and there are few people that they're you know um uh benefiting from that and where yeah.
0: do they, where does the money come from the Irish government
1: yeah it has come from the Irish government yeah
0: What's life like for personally, like in there?
1: I mean, life is, if I use boring, it's, it's not a good word, but life is very killing. Life is a killer living in direct provision because you basically wake up and, I mean, eat and, I mean, and go to bed, sleep. And if you have nothing to do. If you're, not, if you're not friends, so you just wake up, you wake up basically, you go in the canteen and get food and you go back to bed, you watch a little bit of telly and then you come back again, you wake up at lunch hour, you go and get food and the food is not even well cooked, you know, and the food is just covered in deep, oils and you know like even not nice recipes the incorporation of the ingredients is totally what you would make something for yourself and it's just uh, like chips like lasagna like what it's not many of us that we can eat as even you're an Irish man but you can't eat lasagna like 31 days in a week in, in a month so like these are types of uh, of life that 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 I mean, you do live and
0: you arrived to ireland by yourself Via uh,
1: yeah, firstly, but then yeah. my my kids joined me and my family. My sister, she's here too. And, and were you afraid when you came here first? Uh, it was really hard because I didn't know much of Ireland. I had to dig a lot of stuff when I got here, and I didn't have much friends, so it was very very difficult. But I've I've adjusted really well. That I've made more friends than even many Irish people does. But uh, yeah.
0: And <laughs> in the direct residence centers, like who who else is in that cent- in those centers? Is it people from different countries all over the world?
1: Yeah, so there are many people from different types of the world. Yeah, they're, um, they're, yeah, we should say like all around the world, really. And now we've seen even countries that they were not there even five years ago. So now we've seen, we've seen Chinese, we've seen Filipinos, we've seen, uh, is it East Africa, uh, East European? Yeah, is it East European? Eastern, Eastern Europe. Eastern European, yeah, Eastern Europe and uh, Asia you know caribbean and africa and know. what
0: happens when you bring people from all those different cultures and they live in under those circumstances
1: i mean it's very very complicated it's very difficult because everyone feels like they're more superior than the other person i mean it's the same as like live putting i mean i mean you you marry someone for love right and you live under one roof but sometimes it can become a hell you know so you should imagine just Bringing people that they don't actually know each other and they all have their own issues they have they've gone through their traumas and put ten people in one room what's going to happen? they'll kill each other
0: and the living quarters do you are you living in a does everyone have their own room or people no, rooms no no, or? no people
1: share rooms, so people share rooms, so we have people that like now, because I've got kids, I have to share my room with my kids, my, my space with my kids. God, I thank God that, you know, at least we have enough rooms for us to have a little bit of privacy for all, for only us. But, you know, you have a situation where people like me are just that you you, you live and you sleep with about three, four different people. So, yeah.
0: Is the Irish government in Ireland, are they doing the same things as other countries or are we doing something
1: different No, here? you are the only country, you are the only um, country that keeps asylum in this situation and australia that's another waste country it's australia but you're also the only country ireland is also the only country that uh does not allow asylum seekers to work and why is that uh i think they don't want to make ireland look like a safe haven they want to scare people and you know at least people should not feel like uh, everyone should come to ireland i think maybe that's the reason why
0: so how did you end up getting to where you are now we you have the art table and
1: yeah so this is the, <laughs> you really have to find a coping mechanism because otherwise you're going to go mad you know like you're going to go really cycle. so and okay. after you have all these issues in you and you have to find the, the real outlet so one thing you have to understand is like two wrongs does not make any rights you know so like for me I really needed to find a way of coping and I, I I battled like a bad depression at that time and I had to think also that I've left my children I left my family and, you know, there were a lot of issues around as family and the situation that I left. And you have to understand that even if I can wake up and be rebel like the way I am, there was no other family members that did not not like what I was doing because they were feeling like I'm putting them in trouble. You know what I mean? So... I had a lot of issues going on around me. But then when I, I, just, I just had to say like, you know, I have kids, I have to live for my kids because otherwise all the stresses, all the baggage that I've left for people back home, they can even end up on my children, you know, and, and my young sister. And also uh, not only that, but also, you know, you, you just have to find a way of, you know, of connecting yourself to people that they have to find your, they have to understand your pain in a very, very good way. So I think that's exactly what happened with me, yeah.
0: How much of your situation was down to the fact that you came to, like, a foreign country at the time and mm. were, like, completely disconnected from your culture and the things that you were used to doing, the way you cook and the way mm-hmm. that you communicate with people? Yeah. How important is that, has that been?
1: I mean, it's it's really, really, it's been a journey. It's been very, very important, you know. Like, uh, I mean, it, it hasn't been easy to adjust, but you just have to have an open-minded and... Uh, People are different, you know. Like the way I've I've done, I've done and live my life is totally different. That somebody who is in the same situation like me can live the same life, you know. People, we 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 receive situation like very very different. Direct provision is a situation that once you just believe that I'm a victim, you are a victim, and this system can actually finish you off since i've lived in direct provision for the years i've lived in direct, in ireland i've lost over 3 or 4 people that i've lived with in the centers in asylum system that they've actually died and buried here in ireland what happened to them you understand i mean it's it's I mean, i can't say that they've been killed but i can say that you know they got sick and then they 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 you know few years some of them few years after they 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 get out of direct provision they died but it's a system that you know like trauma mounted in you you know depression mounted in you and it lasted for a very long time and some people they can't even cope like out, you know after this life it's a very very hard situation it's a very it's a very very hard situation to sit down and and to listen to it and what makes you more like in my situation what makes me more depressed or or have the laws is understand or even believing that I left Malawi and come here to feel self and to have the environment that I can actually Feel free because that's what the Irish law says. You know, you know what I mean. Because I know many of the things that I'm doing. It was very, very impossible. Although I'm a Malawian to live in Malawi and live that life, you know. But in Malawi, you can take it. Like I mean, it's it's it, we we we've got this say uh, which says, you know, you actually feel bad or. Traumatized when you are really, really, when it's your country and you are really t- treated bad, and that actually kills you most. But then coming here in a country where their laws believes in human rights, and you come here and you've been treated the way some of the ways that we've been treated, it's actually a killer, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. so you really have to find the best way of coping with that. Yeah, so it's the same as like being raised by stepmother. Even sometimes when she's telling you right things, you just feel like because she's not my mom. You know what I mean? So it's the same as like this is an adopted country. So so I had to find a ways of like you know how will I get out of here? How will I move on from this? How will I not think like that? How how will I not let my emotions feel that way? So I had to find a way of coping mechanism. And in that time when I was coming, the system was really bad. It was really bad that there was nothing, nothing much to be done to, uh, to asylum seekers in this country. Many of them, it was completely, now we've seen a lot of reforms, but in that time it was mainly sleeping and doing nothing and eating, right? So there were people, like I was first uh, moved to Balehone's, so in Balejones, you know yourself, Balejones it's a small town. And uh, the people didn't actually know anything about refugees. And they just see like there's these bad people that they've just come from wherever they're coming and they've been kept there. So people weren't uh, that friendly with this community and there were people that I was thinking, like, were these people put deliberately? They were from countries like Libya, Eritrea, that they had no English at all. They don't even know anything at all. So I used to go to the convent and ask the sisters, why can't you come and teach English to these people? And find, like, information that could be very, very helpful to the people that lived there at that time. At least that it can, you know, change or see the way life is different. So I did that. And even me myself, I didn't need to find a space that I could heal, you know. And uh, I started doing like creating gardens and, you know, do, just doing whatever we could. And uh, from there, then I started getting moved because you didn't, you couldn't do that. Like,
0: like that's. They were upset that you were. Yeah, starting I mean, the, like, like
1: direct provision, you don't do that. You know, <laughs> you actually, that's why. Up to this year, I think I mean, I'm where I am. And nowadays, it, it actually not makes me believe, but it, it's true. Why am I here up to now? So they you know? you think
0: they moved you out of Ballyhonus because you, yeah, were, so, you were being active?
1: Yeah, so I moved from Ballyhonus and then, yeah, and because you're being active.
0: What you said about the local people knowing that there was some a place there but not really sure what was going on is mm. very similar to the story that's coming out recently in the last few years about the magdalen laundries mm-hmm. that mm. there's a place down there there's yeah. something happening but yeah. we're not really sure what it is but like mm. we'll just leave it mm. and now all of a sudden it's coming out like yeah an absolute yeah. disaster that was going on and people are thinking how did we let that happen is mm. like is that the same thing that's happening now with yeah vision?
1: exactly it is the same thing because like people are suffering just around the corner you know, in front of the, in, in in at the back of your garden, and you are living in the front of that garden, but people are going through here, and you're just like, ah, there are people here. I see people walking up, and what is it going on here? Going on there? You know, that's exactly the story of direct provision.
0: Like, how can we change that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a mentality is to understand, is to have empathy, and uh, have a human feel, and just sometimes, I always tell people like sometimes to change things is just to imagine if you are in that situation. And then it's like you have to look at yourself like you're shouting and somebody is not even responding to your cries. How will you feel? And I think drawing to that, I think not attach to yourself too much, but just to have that imagination. I think people could do a lot. Yeah. You know, because in every community, in every group, they're always good and bad people. But we can actually easily notice that, you know, I think this group of people means good. But this is, it's always in a community. So I think there is a structure that if people can be given a will, uh, a will, if people can be given a a good will of empathy, you will be, Ireland will be able to pick, like, you know, this is the community that we didn't really need here in Ireland and this community can contribute to us.
0: I think that in Ireland in general, that people are open to other people who are coming in from different countries and seeking asylum. But I don't think that, I think that most Irish people don't really even know that this is here and it's kept under wraps completely. I mean,
1: I have to be honest with you. I'm one of the people that have been really lucky to interact quite a lot with Irish people and on a certain classy class level. I believe Irish people are very, very good people. You know, the only people that are being used in the Irish society, they're the same people that are on the same level where we are. People that are struggling with homeless people are struggling with poverty. But if you're talking of like working, middle-class Irish people that really understands that there is a problem here. I've seen a lot of people changing their mind. I've seen a lot of people like, no, I didn't even actually know this. And this is not in, and I've even seen them doing things very, very different. Just imagine, me and Jack, we met through food. Jack has got a passion of food. He owns a restaurant. I'm somebody who, I have a passion of food. Unfortunately, I can't run a restaurant because of where I am, but I'm, I've got so much to give. And Jack and I, we've become friends, like good friends. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's the system has been created to undermine people that even are people that can actually do well in a society. But the, 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 the system has been created to undermine people that you shouldn't see me as who I am. You know what I mean, but you should see me differently.
0: How did your life change when you brought your kids over from Malawi?
1: Um, uh, I mean, it, it nobody didn't. I mean, nothing did change for me, but I just have to find my way that my kids had to come here. Yeah, but nothing didn't change. I'm yeah. still in direct provision. I'm still in the same situation, but I just had to bring my kids. You know.
0: And how does that direct provision thing affect being a parent? It must be I mean, it's very,
1: very hard. You know, like I live in a, like where we are, they're like, now where at least we are, there are three rooms like this. There's no, it's just a shower. There's no uh, kitchen space. So we live in a space like this. Like me and my daughter, we are living in a room like this and two single beds. And we live there like 24-7. We sleep in there. We wake up in there, you know, and uh, and we don't have like a normal Sit in space, like now we sit on the table and eat dinner and talk to each other or just to hear like, okay, this is what it is. Like, oh, my school was like this. You know, I wake up every morning, just try to survive, you know, like with the work I do. You know, I don't even have much time. Even from where I am, I'm running a, I'm running now a, a project which has grown bigger, but I, I'm really, really struggling because the situation which I am, I can't even drive, you know, I can't even drive myself. So I have to rely on public transport. And you can imagine that I live in St. Margaret's Road, which is in Finegrass. That's the south. That's the south of Dublin, the north of Dublin. And I'm going to the south of, Dub- of Dublin. Which, which is there's another kitchen and I have to travel every day by bus, two and a half hours going to the kitchen. Sometimes I actually sleep in the kitchen because I can't even travel home because I don't have transport. And sometimes even telling people your story, you feel embarrassed, you know, and you know, this type of things. So it's, it's tough life. Is the Irish
0: government essentially refusing people human rights such as the right to be able to parent your kids properly and the right to be able to cook for yourself I mean that's they exactly. seem like very basic yeah, human rights exactly.
1: that are being denied. That's exactly Those are simple but that's what what that's what the, the the government is denying to give us. Like what what other things are being denied with, with people under a provision? Uh, I mean now of course we fought so hard like uh, I'm one of the activists that we fought so hard to get refugees education and now you've seen uh, many men asylum seekers now are going to college but it's not something that just happened overnight some of us we have to fought really hard for that to happen I actually I didn't manage to get that um, system even my daughter but I'm really happy to see now that a lot of refugees are being able to go and a lot of asylum seekers are being able to get sanctuaries to go to college when did that come in? it's almost now two years okay yeah
0: so there are some improvements happening. Yeah.
1: No, there is some improvement happening like even the cooking like the Mosne I don't know if you've heard about the Mosne direct provision center. So the Mosne direct provision center is in a uh, is in a uh, Droheda yeah, On your way to breakfast, so it's in and not Droheda, it's in a joy, Betty's uh, uh, yeah, Droheda, near drawheader, Betty Joystown. But there it was a holiday home before, so because they already had kitchens in there, so that's what even gives people from Mosney uh, uh, a quicker access, access to kitchens. But then you have also to see this in this way. They've given them that kitchen space, the community space, to be able to cook for themselves. But what they've, what they've actually done, they haven't even given them a budget to say, okay, now we're going to move you from 21 euro, we'll be giving you like 50 or 60 euro for you to, to be able to go to the market and get ingredients. They've actually made a card and put points in it. And the owner of the center bring a shop there and bring the food that he wants to bring it there and people can buy you know, and if you see like in a sense of that, find there is an improvement, but there is a total control there because somebody is telling you what you should buy and go cook in your house.
0: Yeah, and That's like totally different food here yeah. compared to what people are used to eating at home and stuff like that. How do people keep physically fit? Is it possible to keep physically fit? And do people go outside and like exercise or stuff from from the breakfast centers?
1: I mean, they do people exercise, but you know what can you do? T- I mean, you go to gym. How do you go to gym? You pay money to gym. But you you just need to do whatever you can. Like just people do whatever they can. Life is totally different.
0: How did you end up being able to cook your own food?
1: Okay, so so this is what I did. After doing whatever after moved quite a lot, then uh, I started volunteering with Irish Refugee Council. At that time they were not here, they were in Demp Street. So the CEO of Irish Refugee Council at that time saw me and then she said, uh um, there was a post that's going on. And they said, "Okay, do you want to apply? I mean, do you want to come and you know work in the office?" And I was like, "Oh, I think that's super cool." So from there, anyway, they didn't have much money to uh, put on that post, but it was—I was—I was able to have access to many things that I could do using that platform. So I started, like, campaigning, going out places, and then I started working with my fellow asylum seekers and, you know, making meals, like, trying to do something with that. But it wasn't, like, on a, on a, on a big, uh, on, a, on, a, on a bigger scale. But then, fortunately enough, in 2015, it's when I met my co-founder, Michelle Damode. Uh, she's from Cork, anyway. That's the co-founder yeah. for our table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, then Michelle, she used to run the Slice in the cake cafe here in Dublin, and then she heard that asylum seekers is not allowed to cook, and she wanted to do something. So she came and see my uh previous uh boss at that time, Sue Conlan, and then she spoke to her like, "I know I wanted to do something, but how can I do something?" So anyway, my 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 boss at that time knew exactly who she could uh, talk to. So my supervisor was Karen and the, the the lady you met. So I said, "Okay, there is a lady that you know she has." And add some ideas, you people. You can sit down and talk and see what you can bring together. So, we did sit down and we felt like, oh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm coming from a foodie background and you know, I love cooking. My mama used to cook, and even her, she's in the food business. So, it's definitely we just started like cooking, going to a communal kitchen and bring invite few people. And we go and cook, and people was like, oh, this is good food. And I'm like, yeah, 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 people will love it. So, that's when we started. And then later, we started inviting like a group of people, like 10, 15, 20. And then we we said like okay let, uh, and let's try to do a pop-up cafe so we did a pop-up for two days in Project Arts where we fed over 700 people in, for two days like we had we seen 300 to 400 people in a day and people ate the food and loved it Was that, Mal- that Malawian it, food? No, yeah so I make ethnic food like I should say like ethnic food so I make food from I'm really lucky that I can cook food from many backgrounds yeah so so we we just like marawian food and which is now I've put many of them in the menu and people are eating like, like they've never tried something before so, <laughs> so. So yeah, so we, we, we actually did that, and there was a Malawian food, there was a South African food, there was East African food, the Middle East, and you know, like Asian, so all of that branded together. And in Malawi, we are really lucky because our spices have been branded by uh, th- three or five types of uh, re- five types of cooking. So we've got Portuguese, we've got, uh, we've got Indian. We've got English and we've got Southern African and we've got like a p- p- like um, North American recipes. We don't know how they do come incorporated, but now if I can compare our recipes, there are many food that you can find in this type of areas. So... I was really lucky that I was grown up with a mother that she was so passionate in food. And my mother was a foodie person. She was the first baker in Malawi. She, she was the first uh, to own the bakeries. And with my auntie, they cooked quite a lot. They saved like big community. So so that's how I also learned how to, to cook. And I was really lucky that when I came over here, I was invited by Darina Allen in Palimalu, So it just kind of like really branded well my, my uh, culinary skills. So did you do
0: the cookery course
1: in Ballymaloo? Yeah, I did that. So when I was going there, I went for for internship. And then just a few days after, she just changed her mind and said, Bam, I just want to give you the training. So yeah, lucky me. It's a beautiful place (laughs) down there. It is, it is. It actually, it was actually one of the places that has made me very, very happy here in Ireland.
0: A couple of years ago, I used to take half day from work on Wednesday Mm -hmm. to go to Ballymaloo and volunteer on the farm.
1: Oh, nice. So it's like
0: spend from like... Eight AM until like two, oh. just working on the farm with the gardeners oh. and learning how to grow food and things. Mm. And then lunchtime, it was Wednesday, yeah, which is the day that the they do the lunch where yeah, uh, like people can come in. Com- yeah, so exactly. It was like.
1: And you sit on the table and you have all these colorful food around uh, you. Everything? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: It was the first time I thought ever I could be a vegetarian. Because yeah. there's so much food. I yeah, exactly. we don't even miss the miss, meat. It's, we just, don't
1: even miss the meat. But I love my meat. And uh when I have the table of meat there, like there's this spring lamb and this game. I never ate game, 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 game. I know like in Malawi people eat wild meat. Like... There is this meat which looks like it's like you know, these like these animals you have in Phoenix Park. What do you call it? So like them? deer. Yeah, like deer, yeah. 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 So we have a deer in Malawi that people eat deer. And I ate deer. I've tried deer. I was really good, nice. We've ate, like, a, we call them uh, forest chicken. Yeah, we've ate that. But I've never tasted, like, a game. Like the In Balimalu, it was the first time that I could try game. <laughs> and I eat game, like, crazy nowadays, you know, like, like, lamb. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was really lucky to be there. And it's one of the places that genuinely, I'm not just saying, like, genuinely, like, uh, this is one of the best places that i've been and has made me happy and uh, i just i was just there in the right time so
0: what's the importance of food to bring people together
1: i mean the importance of food is to bring people together to break barriers you know i mean i mean you can actually see like how i've connected myself in here in ireland you know i've i've met excessive of people like that those people are beyond the food that i've put on the table for them we've gone so much closer than the food that i've cooked but it's food you know what I mean? I know while I'm even sitting here, I know people internationally. In that where I am right now at the moment, I can't go to Spain, US, Switzerland, can and get stuck. No. I will always have one phone call to call somebody that I've met here in Ireland over the table, food. So that's what food does.
0: I think that maybe something that's a little bit lacking today, and that people don't share food as yeah, often. exactly. As as we do, as yeah, we're used to maybe. Mm-hmm.
1: There is a bond in sharing food, and if you see like some of if I'm doing like if I'm doing the events that people they want me to they've maybe they've paid money and they want to do, I do it in their own way. But if I'm doing my own events that I've out food and I've I've invited people, I always tell everyone come and take the food from here. I'm not going to save you food like to because. I think giving you a plate of food and you sit down there is disconnecting you. But just come and you take the y- food. take this food and yes. just if you want to grab it with your hands, let's do it. I think <laughs> I think that's the way. Like that's the way I always feel that. So what are you doing at the minute then? Yeah. So like uh, today I've been really busy because yesterday I had this. For the past few weeks I've had this event that I've catered for people from um um EU countries. So yesterday I had this group, it's called Save the City. So Save the City always received over 300 people a year, every year, which comes to like Ireland and visit Ireland and also take care of social issues. So they had their first conference yesterday, so I did that catering. And last week I had this group also, which is our academics from all over Europe about about. Thirteen to fifteen countries from over Europe, and some they came from America. So we 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 did a coordinate uh, event with uh, this kitchen. It's called the conflict uh, the conflict kitchen, which is in the US. And uh, but the mission is still a little bit different with us. But it's kind of like the, the same. Um, uh, the some. Uh, highlighting of the social issues. So, so, the, so that's what I've been doing. And my daily to daily mainly is being up in the morning, having interviews like this. And then I go to the kitchen and prepare the food. I'm saving quite a lot of food now. I have a lot of people that have pre booked us and okay, uh, we have event here. Do you want to cut out the food for us? So that's mainly my daily to day life. Yeah. And public talks and things like that. And are you reading a book? Ah uh, yeah, I started writing a book. I've actually get a hold of now because I'm going to get a help from somebody, so to round me up. But I, I do a lot of audio recording for my book. You of you, know? your recording yeah. yourself? speaking. So yeah, yeah. So are I you do recording your
0: story or?
1: Yeah, I do record a lot of things that happen. Yeah, I'm running for local elections next year. You're running for the local elections. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. am. So, so. I always feel like uh, there is a still a way of sitting on the table, like what you've said, and being able to sit down on the paper and being able to have an opinion on the policies, on the matters that affects you.
0: So on the thing with the local election, have you started going around to people and telling them that you're, you're sitting?
1: Yes. Yeah, so my, my canvassing cards, they'll be out, I think, the, by the end of this week. I was a little bit delayed because we were just waiting for the presidential uh, thing to go through. But uh, I'm official, a run-up, a candidate runner. So I'll be running Dublin, uh, Dublin citizen, inner city, which is Tony Barra. And yeah.
0: What would be the main social issues that you would see in the area that you're in?
1: Um, I think I've been affected by many issues. One, I'm somebody who is coming from a minority group that has been uh, not accepted, well accepted here in Ireland, and uh, also trying to find ways of how can be how can asylum seeker being well received by the government and being given opportunity of contributing to the economy. I'm also a single mother uh raising kids on a poverty line that those are the issues that has affected many mothers here in Ireland um uh, I've been also affected by housing issues that I've lived in direct provision for so long time so there are many issues that I can't uh spill much but there are a lot of things that kind of revolves me that um that I kind of I I I want to 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 sell myself in and another thing is like I'm a woman that I have great hands that what my hands touch they can actually succeed so if I've been in direct provision and being able to set up our table and being successfully the way it is it has been being able to employ people pay people and work with over 20 volunteers and pay tax while I can't get pay so just think if I'm a citizen and I've been given opportunity of now I live here like any other uh, normal citizen and I run a company that I employ over 50 people. I also think like I'm very, very important to a social, economic, global island. So So there, there is many aspects of me that I think I've, some of them have proved myself already, which it's very sad that I had to prove, but uh, I've done that already and somebody cannot deny me that I'm just saying things that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm daydreaming. What do
0: you think the answer is to the direct provision problem?
1: Um the answer to the direct provision is the government to be able to allow asylum seekers when they arrive in this country, give them opportunity to integrate in the community and also to access things like social housing, to access work automatically that they can contribute to the economy, and for them that they are like me, that they want to set up companies to access the right to start their own company, because at the end of the day, they will contribute to the government, and being able to give them a right for dignity without, uh, give them a portion, of uh, of the human rights and to end the system. Yeah, the, the direct evasion system. Needs yeah, to be finished completely? it needs to be finished completely.
0: Yeah, is it right to say that you can't get citizenship for Ireland? Yeah. Is it a possibility in the future that you get citizenship or
1: uh, I in in future. In future maybe. What needs to happen? So I'm not even sure what needs to happen. For now it's just like waiting because my case is in process. So for now it's just waiting.
0: It's very obvious that the direct provision system needs to be finished mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. need to I think for mm-hmm. Irish people need to go and learn more about it themselves mm-hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. And, then- and engage
1: with the people and you know the people as 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 human beings, like the way you and I we've actually sat here together. I don't think the next morning we can meet and we can just pass each other. And even like I I, I'm, I know we're glad that we have a mutual friend, but even if we didn't had any, how would you react after meeting, sitting down with me here? And after I mean, what would you do after meeting me, like maybe two three days after? You know, so it's kind of like knowing people, because even after here, when you go home, there will be things. They say like uh, Maya Anger say thing that people forget what you what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel. I think after us living here, you will have a certain feeling about me, like how you felt about the story that I've said to you. And I don't think that's going to get out of your mind. So that's a starting point with people, because that's what actually make you want to see the person again. Or want to engage or want to do something about that issue. I was sitting in a in a taxi one day uh from the kitchen and I had this taxi man who brought me uh from city center to Bray. So you know it's a long journey, right? So we were sitting in a taxi and we started talking. So I don't know what we, we didn't talk like for five minutes once I get into the taxi. And then he started like asking me about all the stuff that I uh the food that I'm carrying. So we we I, I started Telling him what I do and then he was like, Oh, I think I've heard this on the television. I've I've read this in a newspaper. Is it you? And I'm like, shit. Anna, I'm sorry, you can language. <laughs> no, you can curse? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, but but this is how he reacted. He was like, no, 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 no. You know when we when I heard this on the on the radio, I didn't hear what I'm hearing now. Then why my government is doing this? My government is allowing people that, okay, that, you know, they don't have much to offer. But people like, are you are you serious? Are you are you serious? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm serious. This is where I am. And uh, I'm not trying to say like everyone does not need protection or does not need to be given safety. We deserve, everyone deserves that, you know. But also the government knows that. If we can actually do this type of situation, if we can actually allow people like the way this type of a woman or other people like her, they are, it's actually going to be good to our country. You know what I mean? But it's also they because the government, for me, I feel like their policies are racist and they kind of like try to bring things that can only divide us. That's why they allow situations that Maybe you find many people that have already been destroyed by the system and they can just get out of there and just rely on social welfare, you know, and they've got nothing to do. And so that people, the the people that are coming from a, a working class, or are coming from the other side of the of the life, they should be like, oh, you know what? That's why these people are here. Just fall on the line and come and get our social welfare. They don't want to work, but there are people actually who wants to be like me. Are you yeah.
0: saying there that a lot of people are broken within the direct Yeah, exactly. By, yeah. This, by the yeah. system, and by then, the they're, system, put yeah. and then yeah. they're put
1: outside, and then they're put outside, and that's what they do. They want to break people and then put them outside when they're, you know, when they're, they've, they've got nothing to offer.
0: Yeah. So people need to be yeah aware of yeah. the divisions that of are the being divisions because yeah of the system yeah in a lot of ways. You mentioned my Angelo there. Yeah. Uh, She's one of my role models. Yeah. I, I was watching a video of yeah. her just today. Mm. Uh, there's a clip on YouTube. Uh, everyone should watch it. I watch it all the time. Yeah. It's uh, called Just Do Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that clip, yeah. but uh, it's so
1: good. But I it, like her. I like her. I, I always like her poem, which is I Rise. You know? The, yeah. I
0: Rise. Yeah. The poem is on our wall in yeah. the gym that I run on Cork.
1: All right. Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah, do you yeah, have so. any other role models? I have Michelle Obama. I've get to love Michelle Obama quite much. I think she's a she's a, uh, um, I, I find her to be very very much appealing. I love Madeline O'Brien. I've growing up knowing her. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there are a few more. Mandela was one of my icon too. Um, yeah. Who else? Yeah, I have many anyway, but these are the few that can just come. So bang, bang, bang. So like Maya Angel, she's the best, you know, like Maya Angel, she's the best. Nelson Mandela, he is the godfather. And (laughs) yeah. And Michelle Obama, I find that to be really, really good. And his husband to the president Obama. I think, I mean, um, I like people that they, can preach peace because what we say it's what happening to our people so if you say the wrong things that's what people start believing you know so i love people that they have inspired us to think very positive and actually to put right words into human beings or you know
0: How can people get in contact with you or see what you're doing, your work?
1: Uh, So they can, I have my website is www.ourtable.ie and my email is early at ourtable.ie, info at ourtable.ie. We have a Facebook page, which is Our Table Dublin and we have Instagram, which is Our Table Dublin and Twitter, Our Table Dublin.
0: That's the 22nd episode of the Rebel Matters podcast, In The Bag. After listening to Ellie's story, what you have to do now is go and raise a little bit more awareness about what's happening in the direct provision centres. Share this episode with people, learn more about it yourself, look it up online, and if you get the opportunity, go and ask your local politician about what they're doing to improve the lives of the people and the human beings that are living in the direct provision system in your area. Keep on listening to the Rebel Matters podcast in the coming weeks for those Belfast recordings that I was telling us about. And as I was saying, the Rebel Matters podcast is available on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Libsyn, Spotify, and anywhere else really that does podcasts. If you're listening on iTunes, leave us a written and review. And if there's a written review function wherever you're listening, just leave a review there as well. It all helps. Come along to one of the Actly events. We've got that long table lunch on the 17th of November, one o'clock to three o'clock, and we've got the pop up Christmas Palestinian shop, which is on the 16th of December. They're all going to be very good events. So good evening, I'm going to as a guest. August Biagi, Jasmine August Kenny Fiere. Slang of all.